Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I think people are, have fears, you know, a lot of which are not based in anything. And when you really start thinking about what's the worst that could happen and how would you feel if I didn't, if you didn't do this, um, anything Anything that's courageous takes, you know, you've got to take that step that's that's scary. And if you can just like, I, I, you know, it was in a movie or a book somewhere, you know, if you can just let yourself for, for two minutes do something so scary that you just get past that, like that gate, uh, you get to the other side. And sure, there are going to be like huge mountains to climb and, you know, nothing is easy. But it's it's yes, you can learn to like. Just sort of hold your breath and, and jump in. I mean, you're a surfer, you know, you, I'm sure you've been in a lot of scary, you know, situations um, that to you, the, the desire to surf is bigger than the, the scariness of the wave. Um, and I think people can learn that, you know, how, how much does it mean to you to really do this? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Ellen, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah. So I was actually referred to you by way of Alex Franzen, who coincidentally had the very first album cover that we ever made uh, designed for Unmistakable Creative. In fact, that's what ended up dis- you know, determining the look and feel for what became the new brand. So it's really interesting to have you here. Uh, you know, when she sent me a little bit about what you did and, and I read your bio, I was immediately intrigued. But before we get into all of that, I want to start by asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact has that had on your life and your work? Well, high school was quite a while ago, <laughs> but um, I will try to reach back and remember. I We were tracked academically and I was with the smart kids and this they were my social group. We took all the same classes together. We ate together. So I did smart kid things. I was in the chemistry club, the biology club, student newspaper. But I was also, I don't know that I was popular, but I was very well liked. And I was also a person that you, you know, would sit next to somebody that didn't have somebody to sit with at lunch or would hang with people that didn't have people to hang with. I think even back then I was, uh, you know, Ram Dass has that wonderful saying, we are all just walking each other home. And even though that was not the person I was back then in terms of really um, embodying that, uh, I think that's who I was. Mm-hmm. So walk me through how you end up with this sort of like multi-hyphenate career, because that was the first thing that struck me about your bio. I was like, wow, I'm like, you've done a little bit of everything. I have. I have. And, you know, I've been very, very lucky that I have found great opportunities through serendipity and even luckier that uh, by some accident of fate, I was awake enough at the right moments to hear the whispers that where, you know, you you get 
you hear some whispers about something and I went for it at certain periods of time. I didn't sort of turn my head. So when I was graduating from college, I um, was trying to figure out what to do. And I asked my friends and everybody was applying to law school. And I thought, oh, that sounds good. So I applied to law school and got in and then took a year off and uh, moved to Los Angeles and went to law school. And when I got to LA, I was brought up in New York, as you can tell from my accent. And when I got to L.A., I got off the plane and I went, I am never leaving. I loved California from the second I got there. And in my second year of law school, I was walking down the hall and there was this bulletin board with announcements. And there was one for an externship in a new office that was being created by the then governor, Jerry Brown, who is now our governor again, um, that specialized in criminal appeals. And even though I had no idea what that was, there was something about it that just sort of called my name. And I remember it was just this like little three by five card that was on the bulletin board. I can almost see it today. And it was called the state public defender's office. California is a rare state in that it um, offers representation to indigent clients up through the appeal through the Supreme Court. Whereas most states, if they give you anything, they'll just do it through trial. So it was an office in Sacramento, LA and San Francisco that was just specializing in criminal appeals. And I was the first intern or extern, as they called it. Um, and I had an amazing boss and who gave me a ton of stuff to do. And it was so exciting. It was, it was a version of a startup. It was just, we worked day and night and it was really exciting. And at that time, there was such a backup of death penalty appeals. Uh, the death penalty law in California had been declared unconstitutional and it had then been declared constitutional again. So there was this backup of people that did not have any representation. So they decided to make our office after a year, they decided to make our office into a uh, an office that just specialized in death penalty cases, which is, you know, a whole different animal than just doing a regular appeal with all sorts of different rules and, and regulations. So that's what we did. And I was there for quite a few years. And then the group of us, uh, people started to form their own practices. They left the state public defender's office, but we've had a loose organization of attorneys called the California Appellate Project. So we would rely on each other for advice and we'd be appointed personally by the California Supreme Court. So I did this for about 12 years and in between, I, I took some breaks. Um, so probably when, so I, I was living in LA and then I moved to Carmel. That's, that's where I lived for many, many years. I raised my kids there. And uh, so that's where I had my private practice. And at one point I was out to dinner with a couple of friends. Uh, one was a doctor, one was a marine biologist, and we were all very burnt out on our work. And uh, it was the era of, I don't know if you know Mrs. Fields cookies, but where they would sell chocolate chip cookies out of these stores. Mm -hmm. And we all decided that we wanted to do something creative. And why don't we do something like that? None of us had any experience in baking. But for some reason, we decided we were going to open a bakery and they were going to do the breads and the croissants and I was going to do the desserts. And we thought, how hard could this be? And it turned <laughs> out it was really, really hard, you know, getting up at 4am and just selling it. But ultimately, we had a wholesale division, we had three retail stores at until we sold everything, we did this for like three or four years. So that was sort of a fun little tangent off of the death penalty work. Um, and then right around that time, I decided I started to build my family 
And my life was sort of interrupted by a series of tragedies that stopped me in my tracks. I, my first children were twins who were born with a whole host of medical issues. And one died at birth and the other at 10 months old after a very, very long hospital stay. And then a few years after that, my brother was killed in the terrorist attack of Pan Am 103 over Lockerbie. So as you can imagine, it was had a profound effect on my life and pretty much brought me to my knees. Uh, but in a strange way, it was very, very freeing because once I realized that life can change in a second, I became very grateful for everything. And I was very present in my life. And over time, I was able to develop a much better sense of what really mattered to me and what did not. And all of my decisions about my family and where I lived and what I did for a living was really started to become based on that. And to this day, very based on this, this sense of um, just being very grateful and being very present in, in my life and, and not having the same kind of fears that, I mean, believe me, I have fears, but not having the same kind of fears that, that I would have had I not had these monumental heavy things happen. Mm-hmm. So, so would you like me to keep going yeah. with my yes. little career, yes, career absolutely. story? Yes, so, please. so then I went back, took a few years off. I, I had a, two more children, two boys who I adore. And I went back to the death penalty work for a bit, but it really wasn't resonating. I was, I was done. And I had two children and I was reading about rapes and murders all day and coming home to the joy of my children and reading about rapes and murders during the day, there was too much of a disconnect. So I started in the back of my head, and this is sort of how it always starts, with like a little buzz of like, I want to do something else. And I sort of recognize it and I go, uh-oh, here it comes. Um, but I was reading a local newspaper and there was an article about school gardens. Um, UC Santa Cruz had developed this course for K through 12, at the time it was K through six, called Life Lab. And I don't know why it appealed to me. I had never gardened. I never put my hands in the dirt. But there was just something about it that I just, it was sort of this like weekend spread in the, in the local newspaper. And I, I, it just called to me. So they were actually having a workshop that weekend. And I decided to go, which also was pretty unusual. I had these two little kids and usually we were so busy. But I did. And from the second I walked in, I was just hooked. I just loved it. I loved being outside. I loved, you know, my head had just been so crowded with law. And I loved the death penalty work. I really loved being a lawyer. But it was just such a a breath of fresh air and just a different way of looking at the world. So I was I was hooked and I came my son, my older son at that point was in second grade. So I came home and I convinced his teacher and the principal of the school and all the other teachers to let's build a school garden. And I brought the Life Lab people to the school and they trained everybody and we raised money from parents and we built this school garden. And I ran it as a volunteer for uh, many years Um And it was amazing. And we had lots and lots of projects with chefs and healthy eating. And personally, excuse me, what became like as this humble project, planting a garden at my kid's school, I discovered that I just loved working with my hands in the dirt. So I just studied gardening voraciously. I devoured books and how-to manuals. I became a master gardener. UC of California offers this long course on teaching you everything about gardening and you give back to the community. So I became a master gardener. And with a friend, I studied, I, I started a landscaping 
and um, uh, flower business. And uh, we were very good and we won all sorts of prizes and we we were in magazines and we we uh, entered garden shows. But the, the, the love of school gardens kept calling to me. I just like, really, that was what touched my heart. As much as aesthetically, I loved doing other people's gardens. And I really loved, we, we started a wedding flower business. Um, and I'm an entrepreneur. I love building businesses. So that appealed to me. But my heart really loved the school gardens. And at this point, my older son, uh, who was in second grade when we started all this, was now in middle school. And next to the middle school, there was this huge plot of land that had been an old Christmas tree farm. And there was, it was, you know, Christmas trees, you, you know, grow them, you cut them down. So there was no habitat on this land. And there was a teacher at the school who's an ornithologist who used to take the kids to Big Sur to see birds and teach them about habitat. And he got the uh, school board to give him permission to just plant some native plants on the site. And, you know, birds started to come and small animals started to come and habitat started to come so the kids could learn right next door to the school. And I just got it in my head that I just really wanted to build a garden. And so I went to talk to him and he said, if you could raise the money, we'll do it. So I never written a grant, but again, I said to myself, how hard could this be? And I wrote a grant and we raised a little bit of money. And ultimately, over the course of 11 years, we developed this 10 acre site into this extraordinary habitat. And, and it became a nonprofit called Me Earth. And thousands of kids came and we had, had a huge organic garden. We built a, a lead certified cooking classroom. We kids grew native plants and we sold them to the local community. We had a bird program, obviously, an ocean literacy program. And we really wanted to offer it to kids in surrounding communities whose schools did not have good science programs. So we worked out after a very arduous process, but worked out a deal with the school district because we were on their land um, to start this nonprofit so we could serve the outlying communities. And it was just wonderful work. Uh, I adored it. And it was uh, very gratifying. And, um, and through none of this, I want to say, did I really know what I was doing? But it was just a process of like just learning every day and figuring out, okay, I'm going to wake up this morning and what is it I'm going to do today? And how am I going to get to the next step here? Uh, and that's pretty much how I've always done everything. And then ultimately my kids grew up and, you know, I, it was just time to leave. I'd done this for so long. I raised over $5 million and it was just time to turn this over to somebody else. So I just decided to stop and figure out what my next steps were going to be. And I took a year off because I was so tired and I just thought I'm never going to have a creative idea again as long as I live. But I did. I like let my brain rest a little bit. And I, after some hibernation and self-reflection, I realized that what I wanted to do is help other people start great businesses, that I just love the process so much. And I love helping people find work that they that means something to them, that makes a difference in the world. And I think if you're doing something that you love, you're making a difference in the world. It doesn't really matter what it is. So I just decided to um, start a, a business of, of, you know, a career coaching business based on all of the experience I've had. I put together a website, I started blogging, I started a blog called Unlocked, I started interviewing some people, I have a column called Ask Ellen, and it 
surprisingly ended up being so much harder than I thought it was going to be. I, I thought it would, you know, I just, I took Marie Forleo's B-School. I really tried, tried to learn how to do online things. And, you know, I'm no Luddite, but I was not really that knowledgeable about how to do things on the internet, how to do website development and mailing lists and social media marketing. So there was this big hurdle and um, I've really had to learn and I've really had to learn how to be patient and I've really had to learn to build this thing one little piece at a side, at a, at a time, I mean, and um, deal with the isolation of entrepreneurship and all of the things that you talk to people about all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've confronted and in the process of working through. But, but right now, you know, here I am about four years in and my calendar is just filled with interesting projects and I'm recharged and I love what I do. And I have coaching clients. I have a blog. I just started a new interview series called How Did You Do That? where I interview people and ask them how they did that. And I, it, it's, it's a platform in which I can really be creative and I feel like I'm helping lots of people. So that's my story up to now, and I'll I'll let you. Ask yeah, me some so questions. many so so many questions. I come know, from this. I know. Uh, you know, I, I want to go back to the death penalty work. In fact, that yes. was uh, as I told you before we officially hit record here. The thing that really caught my attention and, and intrigued me. You know, we've had a lot of people on the show who have served time and, and to, you know have yes. them come and share yes. their experiences. It it really kind of challenges your perceptions of what these people are like. And I, I'm curious, what are the misperceptions that people in the public have of people who are, are facing the death penalty? Like, what do we not know that you get a front seat to, um, or you got a front seat to as an attorney? Well, I think, I think first and foremost, there are very, very few evil people. I think that, you know, most people because of circumstance, whether it's in their childhood, whether it's economic, whether it's drug abuse, whether it's, you know, bad trial attorneys, but they end up in that position uh, because of those things. And, but for the grace of God, you know, it, you know, I'm not sure it could be any one of us, but, but they're not evil. They're just not evil. Um, I also think that, that, that the death penalty, there's no way to be fair. There's no way to make sure that it works in a hundred percent of the circumstances. So by its very essence, the death, death penalty makes no sense. You end up spending huge amount. I mean, I spent years on two or three cases and we went up to the California Supreme Court and then we did writs and we went to the federal court. We spent like, I had one case that cost the, the state over a million dollars. And ultimately, you know, we had a retrial and he got life without possibility of parole, which is probably what he should have gotten in the first place. Now, these people don't, you know, they're no angels, but I think that we have a misconception of, you know, how, you know, guilt and innocence and, and how people end up where they are. Wow. Uh, now, did you feel that the work affected you in other areas of your life? I know that you said at one point um, it was this sort of, you know, feeling to come home to your kids after reading about rape and murder all day. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm curious, you know, how that just shaped your perspective going on for going forward after starting having a front row seat to that. Well, there's nothing like going to San Quentin for the day to make you feel very grateful that you live a free life. Strangely, I mean, I've done that. Oh, have you? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's intense. Yeah. And you, you sit in this tiny little 
you know, pen, there's no other way to put it, with your client. And it's, uh, you're very, very happy to get on the road and, and, and get out. Um, we live in such an intense, violent world. And I think when I did it, you know, when, just to give some perspective and not to age myself too much, but, you know, when I did it, we, the, nothing was computerized. We would get these huge transcripts, thousands and thousands of pages long, and we would have to go read the transcripts and then we would have to um, dictate you know, take the thousands of pages and make them into a 20 page statement of facts. And then based on the law, do a lot of research and look at microfiche. Nothing was online. And then we'd have secretaries that would type things out for us and use carbon paper. And so it was just like today, there's so much information. And, you know, I mean, look what happened yesterday in, in Manchester. I mean, the world is so violent that the violence that affected me when I did the work was contained. Right now, it's just feels, the world feels much more unsafe to me today than it did back then. Mm. Wow. You know, one of the things that, that struck me throughout your, your story and describing the career was this sense of listening to something within yourself. Like, you know, the mm -hmm. way you described, you know, the externship, the desire to start the bakery or the garden. Each one of those, it, it seems like there's something inside calling you. And, I, and I'm curious how people develop the capacity to listen to that instinct and that intuition? Well, some of it is, you know, when I like, I was moving a couple of years ago and I came across my old applications to college and then to law school. And I noticed the thread, you know, you forget the person that you are and then you come across your old high school, you know, yearbook or something and you go, oh yeah, that was me. Um, I've always had this desire to do, to make a difference in the world. I've always had this desire to, to have an impact and to use what I always saw as my um, blessings to help other people that didn't have the same kind of blessings. So when there was a calling uh, to be able to do that, you know, like my ears sort of perked up, which is why law school appealed to me, which is why criminal appeals appealed to me as opposed to civil appeals. Uh, so, and, and why I listen, um, I don't know the answer to that. I think there is just something inherent in who I am that, sort of has this, I've got nothing to lose. I mean, I, yeah, you can fail and yeah, you can lose money. Uh, my dad used to have this wonderful expression that was nobody died here. You, you know, there's, there's big risks and there's smaller risks. And I think I'm just willing to take risks and see what happens. And I'm also a person that if I didn't take those risks, I would feel very claustrophobic. I almost need to. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Do you think that can be learned? Or do you think that that is something you have naturally? Or do you think it's something you're able to teach people based on the work that you do? I think it can be learned. And that's why I do that a lot with my clients. I think, I think people are have fears, you know, a lot of which are not based in anything. And when you really start thinking about what's the worst that could happen, and how would you feel if I didn't if you didn't do this? um, Anything, anything that's courageous takes you know, you've got to take that step that's that's scary. And if you can just like, I, I, you know, is in a movie or a book somewhere, you know, if you can just let yourself for, for two minutes do something so scary that you just get past that, like that gate, uh, you get to the other side. And sure, there are going to be like huge mountains to climb and, you know, nothing is easy. But it's it's yes, you can learn to like just sort of hold your breath and, and jump in. I mean, you're a surfer, you know, you, I'm sure you've been in a lot of scary, you know, situations um, that to you, the, the desire to surf is bigger than the, the scariness of the wave. Um, and I think people can learn that, you know, how, how much does it mean to you to really do this? I'm curious um, as how your perspective has evolved uh, on risk with age. Well, interestingly, um, I was, uh, I was, I had, I'm more risk averse, averse now than I was 
when I was younger. You know, when I decided to leave the habitat and I was living down in Carmel and I decided to sell my house and move somewhere and just like sort of do a new life. And um, I was having such a hard time and I just like didn't understand what my problem was, but it was just like making me crazy. And I remember that when I was younger and I came to, when I first decided to come to law school, um, I had applied to a bunch of law schools and I got in a bunch of schools back east and I had a boyfriend and he was coming to California. So we took a year off and I decided we, we, we wanted to be, well, I didn't say we decided we wanted to be together. So I applied, I guess I had applied to a couple of other schools and I was first on the waiting list at USC. That was the only school I'd applied to in uh, California. And I called them and they said, oh, the person first on the waiting list always gets it. And I said, okay. So I packed my bags. I moved all across the country. I get to California. As I told you, I was not going back. And guess what? I didn't get into USC. And I went, oh, that's like, what should I do? And they were very nice. And they said, well, you should go down the block to Loyola that has a night school, sign up for the night school. And in two months, you can, you know, switch to their day school. And I did all of that. And I don't remember being scared. And I don't remember thinking, oh, my God, I just did it. And I think the older you get and the more you have to risk and when you have kids and you start fearing for their safety and, you know, decisions take on bigger import, I suppose. But I try, I really try to push myself past that and to just, you know, I'm not about to jump out of an airplane kind of thing, (laughs) but I really try in the dailiness of my life to just have courage. Yeah. Well, I want to appreciate the fact that you acknowledge that, um, you know, once you get into a certain situation like family, kids, that there are consequences to your decisions that that matter, that you know, it's not as, as simple as, you know, quit your job, change the world and, you know, don't worry about how everything's going to turn out because exactly. that's, that is not realistic for a lot of people. However, <clears throat> there are always ways to figure something out. For instance, we all need food on the table. We all need to pay bills. We all need to put our kids through school. You know, there are things that we have, responsibilities we have as adults. If you have a book in you that's dying to be written, if you have a, a project in you or a, a startup in you or something that you need to do, you can wake up earlier in the morning. You can work on the weekends. You know, there are, pe- there are ways to get things done. So whatever is, is bubbling inside of you has a chance to come out. If you want to run that race or be in the Olympics, I mean, people do extraordinary things. It, it, it boggles the mind what people do when they, they climb Mount Everest. They, they just do extraordinary things. So I believe that everybody has within them the ability to do those things. And yes, we have to be responsible and we, you know, have to take care of the things we have to take care of. And there are lots of hours in a day. So, you know, if you track all the time you may spend on the internet or doing (laughs) other things, it's a little scary. There are lots of hours in the day to get some of this other stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that, that really struck me about the early part of your story was losing your brother and having children pass away. And you said that you were at a certain point, you felt free. And, you know, my thought was, okay, wow, like you, you transformed grief into freedom. And I'm wondering how people do that in their own lives. Well, you know, I don't think you 
you do it. I think it happens. There's that great movie. What was that movie with Tom Hanks when he was on that castaway? <laughs> you know, yeah. where he's he's on the island and he loses everything. I mean, he's like, you know, he's got this 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 volleyball, but he comes home and everything is different. You know, he was this one guy when when he left and he came home and his wife is gone and, and he's he's at this this crossroads at the end of the movie and I guess some package had arrived to some beautiful woman and do I follow her? Or do I go left? Do I go right? And it didn't matter what he did. He had nothing to lose. And, you know, that was a movie and it was a very extreme example. But there was this sense of freedom that he had that he had already lost so much that he realized that he would survive no matter what decision that he made. And I think that happens when when you go through a major loss, like and I went through, you know, quite a few. There's this sense of, well, the worst thing. I can think of. So on the one hand, there's a sense of the worst thing that I can think of has happened. And wow, I made it. And I've got these amazing children and I love them and family and friends. And, and, and so there's that. And then unfortunately, there's the, the part of your brain that thinks the shoe is dropped. When's the other shoe going to drop? Because, you know, with kids, you're always afraid something's going to happen to them. So that just takes a lot of work and therapy. But, mm. but there is, there is a sense of, I have made it through something so hard, and I know no matter what, I'm going to survive, no matter what happens to me. You know, like I've asked this question in various forms to multiple people. Um, Do you think that that and the reason I'm asking this is because it seems to be a consistent pattern in in the people I see is that some sort of, you know, awful thing happens or something big happens that forces a change up on them. And I, I'm wondering, you know, if it's possible to develop that sense of nothing to lose at that level without experiencing the loss. I don't know. I think you have to be like Buddha and sit under the Bodhi <laughs> tree. <clears throat> it's hard. I mean, you know, life is hard and um, everybody comes in, you know, different shapes and sizes. There are some people that are risk averse. There are some people that are more risk takers. There are some people that have fears more than other people. Um, I'm always in awe of people that seem not to have lots of fears and just sort of go for things. Uh, I, I, I was telling you before we started recording, I started to do the series. How did you do that? And, um, where I ask people in doing all sorts of things, how they came to do what it is they're doing. And uh, one of the women that I interviewed, her name is Lisa Van Ann, and she is a kickboxer, but she's on the U.S. kickboxing team, and she started uh, a nonprofit called I Am, where she teaches, you know, abused girls how to have self-confidence and self-love. She's an extraordinary human being. And her story started in this unbelievable way where she was in a very abusive relationship when she was 18 or 19. She had a very hard childhood and she was in a very abusive relationship and her boyfriend literally kicked her out of the car, like threw her to the curb and she looked up, there she was broken and bleeding and looked up and she was in front of a kickboxing studio and she had never kickboxed, She just not in her realm but she thought, well, I could either lie here and die or I could go take a kickboxing class. You know, again, that, that those whispers called her into the kickboxing studio and it changed her life. And she became this extraordinary person she is today. So, yeah, she had a bit horrible thing happen. Somebody kicked her to the curb. I think we all have 
things that either keep us on our path or put us on a new one. I, you know, it may not be as big as, you know, your brother's plane getting blown up. It may not be as big as losing children, but we all have successes and we all have failures. And I think it's, you know, it's a matter of how you deal with both ends of the spectrum. Mm. Has, Does that answer, I, you, did that oh, yeah. answer your question? Yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Um, has your definition of success changed with time? Yes, I, I struggle with that because especially in this online world I'm in, <laughs> you know, what, what's that Teddy Roosevelt quote that comparison is the thief of joy? Yeah, um, it is. I mean, it's very hard not to compare. It's very hard not to say, oh, I should be doing an online course and I should be doing a this and I should be this. And, and in my and then I have to and then when I find my brain going crazy and I find myself going a little crazy, I really have to like stop and take a deep breath and say, you know, what is it, what, what, what means what to you? You know, what is it, you know, if I died tomorrow, what would, what would really matter to me? Um, why do I even want money? You know, it's my relationships with my family. It's my relationships with my friends. It's trying to do some good deeds in the world. So, Yes. When I was younger, you know, I just wanted to be like the A student and be very successful and do it well and do it right. And and now it's it's much more deeply felt. And um, I fall off track, but I'm able to get myself back on. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I struggle with this as well. Despite having accomplished many of the things that I set out to accomplish, I still go into those moments where I'm like, yeah, but somebody else is ahead. I know. I know. And interestingly, here I just told you this long story of everything I've done. Well, most of the time, I don't walk through the world and say, oh, I was a death penalty <laughs> attorney. And, oh, I started that amazing nonprofit. Or, oh, I, you know, started a bakery. I'm, like, just struggling with, like, how do I make this new business work? You know, like, I forget that I've already done so many things. Um, I think as a general rule, we're all really hard on ourselves. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you something uh, that caught my attention from your about sure. page when I was looking at it. You know, you mentioned two things that really struck me, and I had to ask you about this. Um, you said you convinced the hottest band in the country to play at your senior <laughs> prom, and you persuaded the most sought-after chef in the country to come and speak at a fundraising event because unlocking impossible doors is one of your superpowers. So I couldn't let that go. Um, right. I would love for you to tell us <laughs> about it. And also, you know, how does one unlock impossible doors? Um. Well, I'll answer the second part of the question first. Okay. I'm a great believer in grit. I think that ev everything that has gotten me to where I am is because I'm like a dog with a bone. I'm just relentless. And I think you always have to go back in. Like when people say no, I mean, at a certain point when people say no, you got to understand a no is a no. <laughs> However, it takes me longer than most people to sort of say, okay. Um, but no, grit is so important. And it is, I think there have been studies done. I forget the woman that does all this study. She has a great TED talk. Yep. Angela Duckworth. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, that grit is more important than intelligence. And I, 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 I agree. I think that, you know, it, you know, you look at authors who have gone back, you know, JK Rowling, you look at Thomas Edison, you look at anybody that's been successful. It's grit that has like allowed them to get to where they got. Um, so I'm, Excuse me. I'm a great believer in grit. Uh, the the name of the band was Gary Lewis and the Playboys, and they had a song. So for some reason, I was not the most social person in high school. To go back to your original question, I was like, 
I wasn't like antisocial, but I wasn't like a president of the student council kind of person. I was more like a, a person that joined things than led things at that moment in time. But they asked me to be chairman of the prom or chairperson of the prom. And so I had to put this whole thing together and get the entertainment. So there was this song at the time. It was back in 1969. And it was called uh, This Diamond Ring or something like that. And the band was Gary Lewis and the Playboys. And so I called them. I somehow got their number. I don't know how. And I called them. And I said, we don't have a lot of money. And we're this little high school in this town. And la, la, la. Will you come play at our prom and they said yes um and everybody thought i was like the best chairperson of the prom ever uh because i was able to get these people to come come to our prom the second one was so that was an easy one i called them up i don't remember there being a struggle i don't remember them saying no i think they just said yes but the the second one was harder and that was alice waters and it was we were doing our grand opening for our project and it was called me earth and um I wanted Alice to come to our grand opening. She is the, you know, the person that started school gardens. She is the heart and soul behind school gardens. And I thought, what, who else do I want to come speak but Alice Waters? And then I realized, you know, that other people would come. It would be such a great way to, to start our project. So I called her assistant. I got the number and I called her assistant and he sort of laughed at me and he said, absolutely no way. There's no way she's coming to your, she's so busy. And I said to him, can I just keep calling you back like every couple of weeks and check in? And he said, sure, but not going to happen. So over the course of a few months, I kept calling him every couple of weeks and we became friends and I go, hey, it's me again. And then finally he said to me, okay, I'm going to give you a hint. She loves snail mail. She loves getting th beautiful things in the mail. So if you send her something beautiful, if you put together something really heartfelt, maybe, maybe, maybe you have a chance. I said, great. So I got this beautiful picture album and I took pictures of the kids on the land and in the garden and I put it together and I, with a beautiful ribbon and I wrote her a beautiful handwritten note. And, I, and he said I could send it to him and he would make sure she got it. And he called me back like a couple of weeks later and said, she said, yes. And so it was amazing to have her. Although when she did show up, she said to me, who are you? And how did you get me to come here? Because um, she was like in the middle of like going to see Bette Midler the next day and doing her like, you know, rock star kind of activities. But it was it was wonderful. And she was so gracious. And uh, it's a good example of how grit and determination gets you what you want sometimes. Wow. So, uh, you know, the other question I have uh, from this multi-hyphenate careers is how your career experiences have impacted uh, your parenting. Well, more than that's a great question. That's a great question. My kids come first and more than anything I've ever done in my life. I love being a mom. That's like my favorite, favorite thing to do. And so I could give up. I mean, if it wasn't for I mean, if I could just be a professional mom, I'd be a professional mom. And in some ways, I sort of am now helping people start their businesses. Uh, but, you know, so I love so my kids always, always came first. And I always made sure that I did things where I was home when they were home. Uh, I was able to, you know, whether I was working at the nonprofit, um, do my work as a death penalty. Well, my work as a death penalty attorney was there was it was in the early years of their life. But I always made sure that I picked things where they came first. I was I, I was there for them. Um, 
I also raised very innovative, out-of-the-box kids. I just got lucky that I got these great, innovative, out-of-the-box kids who so appreciate who I am in the world and the gifts of my grit and determination and creativity that I passed on to them. Um, they love that. And, and, and one of the things that, one of the blessings of losing my first two children was it, it allowed me to let go of wanting my kids to be a certain way. Like I never thought, oh, if only they would be a lawyer or if only that I was really able to see them both for who they are and just support them in whatever their path was. And I think that was a very uh, strong, positive aspect of my parenting hmm. and made me a good mom. Wow. All right. So two more questions. Um, one is, if there was a book that you would want to share with our audience that has had a profound impact on your life, what would that be? Oh, there's so many. Oh, my gosh. You know, I loved, you know, which... Uh, Interest. I love the book Crossing the Unknown Sea by David White. Do you know that book? You know, I don't know the book, but I know David White because Jerry Colonna mentioned his name to me. Oh, David White's extraordinary. And this this book, I was in a bookstore. And again, you know, I, I don't know why these, I, I'm really not a woo-woo kind of person. But this book like fell off the shelf into my hands one day. And I've always been fascinating, fascinated about work and why people work and why we have to work. And, and this is like David White is an extraordinary mind and an extraordinary poet. And, but he wrote this book about work and his own experiences with trying to find the right work for himself in the world. So that was a very, very powerful book that, that I love. And I, I read it almost like every year or every other year. I just, I just love that book. Mm, wow. Well, I have one final question for you, which I know you've heard me ask since you've been digging through our archives. <laughs> what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Authenticity. I think that if somebody is really authentic and speaks with an authentic voice and shows up in the world as their authentic selves and doesn't, to the best degree we can, doesn't get swayed by uh, trying to be something they're not, then they become unmistakable. Well, I, I think that makes a, a fitting end to our conversation. Where can people learn more about you and your work? I have a website, ellenfondler.com, and I assume you're going to have it. Yeah. But, and so I don't have to spell my name. Um, but anyway, ellenfondler.com, F-O-N-D-I-L-E-R. I will spend it, spell it. And, uh, so, and I have a blog. So if you go to – so I have my interview series is on the website, my services, and then my blog. And on my blog, I have the interviews – I have an Ask Ellen column where people write me career questions and I answer them. I'm also an astrology buff, so I work with a friend, Heidi Rose Robin, who's, who's an astrologer, and we do a career forecast each month, this month being Gemini. So she talks about what's happening in the month of Gemini, and I talk about how all the things that are happening affect you if it's your, if you're working, if you're looking for a job, if you're a solo entrepreneur. So it's a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, all sorts of great stuff there. And, oh, and then I also have a bunch of workbooks called the Unlocked Academy, how to figure out what you want to do, how to network, how to interview, all sorts of things. And that's also on the site. 
Awesome. Well, I think that makes a really lovely end to our conversation. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and, and share your insights with our listeners. This has been phenomenal. Thank you so much. And thank you for all that you do. You do amazing work in the world. Thank you. And and you just, having spent the last few days listening to a bunch of interviews, you just, I love the questions that you ask. I love the people that you choose. And I walked away from each interview with such great little morsels of encouragement. And I, I really appreciate it. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. 
We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.